Gambling is pretty common. Some even say it's part of Australian culture. And for many people, it's a harmless activity. But for some, it can become an issue. Welcome to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast, covering topics like kids gaming and gambling, the risks of online gambling, and knowing when it's time to talk. This podcast series gets the conversation started. So let's talk gambling with your host, Natalie Wright, Director, Office of Responsible Gambling, New South Wales. Gaming and gambling are part of everyday life, but how much do you know about our kids, the games they play and their exposure to gambling and the connection between the two? Many of us are all too aware of gambling advertising that kids see on TV and online, but gaming also presents other risks. Today, we have two guests to help us understand how gaming and gambling are connected and what that means for young people. Dr. Alex Russell, a researcher from CQ University, has published multiple papers on this issue and was one of the researchers on our New South Wales youth gambling study. Welcome, Alex, and welcome Mandy Buchholz from Uniting, who works with young people and parents in southern New South Wales on the Recoded project. Thank you to you both for joining us today. Firstly, video gaming and gambling seem like very different activities. Alex, you've done a lot of research in this area. Can you explain the connection between gaming and gambling? What we're seeing is that video games are changing quite a lot and drawing on lessons that have been learned from the gambling industry, the best ways to make as much money as possible. So we can think about the connections between games and gambling in maybe three different ways. So, you know, think about video games that you used to buy, maybe 10, 20 years ago, you'd pay for the game upfront once, and that was all you'd pay. These days, you can start playing a game for free, but then keep paying over and over again with these microtransactions, little amounts, $2, $5, that add up over time, and there's no cap on how much you can pay. So that's you know a nice lesson that video game companies have learned from gambling operators about how to make as much money as possible out of people, and it relies a lot on people who can spend a lot, even if they maybe shouldn't. Another way that video games and gambling are aligning is what you actually do in the video games. So a lot of video games these days have gambling components to them. You can play pokies in apps on your phone, or some video games even have gambling levels in them. So Grand Theft Auto has a casino level, for example. So we're seeing a lot more of those gambling elements coming around. They've always kind of been there, but now they're a lot more present, a lot more obvious. And the last way is that you can actually gamble on video games too. So you wouldn't believe it, but there are professional video game competitions that pre-COVID anyway, packed out stadiums, just like sporting contests. And the people who played these games are kind of like professional athletes, if you want to think of them as athletes. (laughs) They're sponsored by gambling companies. And of course you can bet on these things too. So gambling and gaming are converging in at least those three ways. So you've just talked a little bit about simulated gambling in particular. How popular is that? And is it something that a lot of young people are participating in? So simulated gambling is an umbrella term that we use to refer to games where you can pay to play or not, do gambling type things in the games like playing pokies. And usually you can't actually win money from it. That's what separates gambling from simulated gambling is that you can't actually, you know, if you win credits in a slot machine in an app, you can't actually withdraw those for cash. It is pretty popular amongst young people in the youth gambling study that we did, led by my boss, Nerily Hing. We found that about 40% of 12 to 17 year olds in New South Wales were taking part in simulated gambling. It's a bit higher amongst males, 
it tends to be more the slightly older crowd, like who are closer to 17 rather than closer to 12. But there are still, you know, 12-year-olds and girls doing it as well. So, yeah, we're, we're seeing that it is fairly common, but it's a little bit of a gray area in terms of what you actually consider to be simulated gambling or not. So you'll find different numbers from different studies depending on how they've defined it. Right. And what about traditional gambling as we know it? Are many young people participating in that? And what types of gambling do they participate in? Yeah. So again, from the youth gambling study, you know, underage people shouldn't have access to gambling activities, right? But we know that there are always ways around things. It's sometimes not hard to get into a venue or to gamble online. We found that about three in 10 young people, 12 to 17 in New South Wales, are taking part in actual monetary gambling as opposed to simulated gambling. But the most common form there was informal private betting, you know, so like playing cards for money in the schoolyard or something like that. When you only look at commercial forms of gambling, so, you know, actually playing a pokey or betting on sports or whatever, it's about two in 10. So that still means that about, you know, 20% of youth in um, New South Wales are gambling when they shouldn't be. Yeah, that's really interesting and a bit concerning, actually. Alex, is it something parents and the community in general should be worried about? Are there particular risk factors that we should be aware of that we might see in our kids? Yeah, we see that underage gambling is one of the biggest predictors of gambling problems later in life. So, you know, the the people who have access to it and are doing it are, you know, more likely to experience harm later on. So there are some concerns there. In terms of parents being concerned about it, one of the factors that we saw is that parents are probably the biggest facilitator of underage gambling amongst youth. So this can be active facilitation, like creating an online betting account for them to to bet with, or actually taking part in informal private gambling with them. Or even more passive where, you know, they might bet at home with other family members or friends or whatever and the kids see them doing that. So, you know, when we talk about parental influence, it doesn't have to be active influences. Kids see things and learn from um, parents and parents are obviously very influential in, in kids' lives. But we also see that, you know, there's other factors that are associated with issues later on. So. Uh, impulsiveness amongst anyone really, but especially amongst youth, is also a really big predictor of gambling problems. So it sort of tells you the kind of things that we can do to minimise harm. So, you know, more education for parents in terms of the risks when they gamble around their kids or facilitate gambling for their kids, but also the kind of people that you might want to, you know, keep an eye out for. If your kid is particularly impulsive, then, you know, you might want to be more active in terms of having discussions there. Yeah, as a parent, I can see how many games could lead, you know, young people down this path. And Mandy, this is a really key area of your work at Uniting. Can you tell us about how the Recoded project is addressing the issue and how the project came about? So I think as a result of our gambling, financial gambling counselling area, there was a lot of areas where we would get adults coming in and then their kids would come in with the same issues. So there was a quick realisation that there was a gap in we needed to get in early and educate children about the risk factors, how they would advocate for themselves and look at these gambling elements that were coming in as adults. So Recoded became the platform for that. And I think with the Recoded program, it is a harm reduction program where we go into schools and we look at targeting kids grade four 
and year eights and nines. And it's about letting them know about those innocent games that have gambling elements, what the effects of those games do. And also not just focusing on educating the children and talking to them about healthy gaming. We also want to work with parents and raise awareness with parents and the community. And when harmful gaming play does come into areas with these gambling elements, that we actually tackle that by talking to the professional services that work with youth. So we're working with schools, we're working with communities to really raise awareness and to create prevention and harm reduction amongst the recoded program. Thanks. And what kind of response are you getting to the program, you know, from parents and from young people? Have you had a lot of interest in it? When I bring up the recoded program, everyone seems to have a story. A lot of parents will say the usual, I can't get my child off a game. Gambling elements are not really known. Normally people would say it's all about the video gaming, let's blame the video game. And then you'll mention that there's a gambling element within video games and it seems like it's just not understood that these immersive games that are a little bit like a pokey machine with the flashing lights that create that long play for children that are built to keep kids playing for longer. Parents aren't really aware of those mechanics in the games. These particular parents are sort of saying, my child is addicted. And I think we just need to understand the brain with the game. And when children come off a game, that that behavior is normally can be quite aggressive, can sometimes be defiant, but it's not actually their fault. And I think parents really need to understand there's a time that children need to reset and get back into that real world, reset from the virtual play. There is an immersive part of gaming and we just need to remind ourselves, is it addiction? Or is it just you need time to reset and let's not blame the game? Sure. And what sort of advice would you give to parents whose, you know, kids and teenagers are spending a lot of time on games? Like what sort of strategies can they put in place to reduce that? Because as you just said, it can be hard to get them off. Setting those boundaries early, creating consistency. And I think what we need to remind ourselves is let's not blame the game. If we set these boundaries, then we sort of remind ourselves that also turning off those modems early is actually, you know, you're also sacrificing a child who's just spent hours levelling up. Let's not, you know, switch the switch and say you haven't gotten off that game. Let's set those boundaries and say, look, if it's dinner time at this time, are you able to get off the game at that point? And just really work with the child using their voice in the boundary setting and also creating some consistent guidelines. We also want to encourage healthy gaming. And I think the key point to all of this is really getting engaged with what children are actually playing. Take an interest. Let's find out what they're up to. Let's get engaged with what they're loving about their games. Thanks. That's really good advice. And I'm sure people will find that really useful. So Alex, those experiences that Mandy's just shared from the front line, does that describe what you've found in your research? Yeah, there's there's a lot of you know overlap between the, the the way that we see things. I think the really important thing is around education. So when I talk to parents and community members around esports and loot boxes, they usually have no idea what I'm talking about. 
Education is a really big part of this. You don't necessarily have to know how it all works, but you just have to understand that there are risks there. So I think that's a part of it. If you understand what the risks are so that you can talk to your kids about that and help minimise those risks around gaming, then that's a, a really useful thing. There are positives that come out of it. So problem solving skills and you know communication, social status is a pretty big thing too. A lot of these games have social elements to them. These days, this is a way to gain social status. And, you know, kids are getting something out of these games. It's really easy for parents to, you know, be super concerned about screen time and just say no. But when has saying no to a kid ever worked? They're going to find a way no matter what. They've got access via their phones. There's ways to access it. So instead, it's about education for the parents and also education for the kids in terms of what are the issues here. The other thing, though, is to, to foster things that you might do outside of gaming as well. So sure, do some gaming for a while. Absolutely. But let's also make sure that we do these other things, whatever the other things are that the kid would be interested in too. So getting out and running around or, you know, riding a bike or whatever the most appropriate thing is. Thanks. That's good advice. It's all about balance really, isn't it? Mandy, is there anything else that you'd like listeners to know about their kids and and gaming or anything that we haven't touched on as yet? I think it's let's not be scared of gaming. It's here to stay. The kids that we talk about were born in a digital world. They don't know anything else. And I think if we look at the behaviours when gaming is starting to become harmful and there's behaviours of aggression or it's actually impacting everyday life and changing the usual routines that a child may be uh, living, we need to actually remember that if it does start to impact the daily life of someone, that we actually don't blame the game and we actually look at what's actually happening behind that game. Let's ask the why. And I think that's the key question. By asking the why behind the game, let's find out, are they avoiding school? Why? What are the other behaviours that, you know, is it avoidance or is it escape? Is there something happening at home? Is there something happening in their life? What's actually the reason why they're actually playing that game longer than they should be? And work with that child. Ask the questions. Have a conversation. Be open and create a safe place for children. Thank you. That's excellent advice. And Alex, is there any other advice you'd give to parents or young people? I think Mandy's right in terms of saying don't necessarily blame the game. But what I would say is that not all games are equal as well. There are some games that are, you know, particularly popular or particularly harmful or ones that are, you know, have more expensive loot boxes and things that can potentially be problematic too. So I guess I would want to say that, you know, the game doesn't necessarily get off scot-free here as well. Any problems, whether it's gambling or gaming, it's not just the people who play them who are the reason that the problems happen. The products are pretty important in this, as is the broader environment that the the, the player is in. So, you know, parental modelling, what what parents do and how they talk about these things or setting rules, but also what society sees in these games and how they're advertised and those sorts of things can also feed into wanting to play them more and experiencing problems too. What I would say, though, is for, for younger people, For both gaming and gambling, it's pretty hard for kids to do too much harm to themselves because they don't generally have a lot of money and they don't have bills. They're not going to miss rent. But what it sets up is, you know, behavior for for later in life sets up a bit of a pattern. You develop, you know, that need or desire to play these games. So if you find yourself playing these games for escape, for example, or gambling for escape as well, that's usually a really good sign that you're relying on it. And that's when things can get more than a little problematic. 
think about why these games are becoming important for the person. And if the reason is that they're doing it to cope with something that's going on with problematic events in life and things, then that's a pretty good sign for an intervention, really, to, to have a chat about it and, and seek some help for it. The other thing is that a lot of these simulated gambling forms have free entry into them. So you can start playing for free and not have to pay. And that's different to traditional gambling. You know, no one lets you gamble for free. You have to pay money one way or another. And we're seeing that, you know, a lot of people start with the free versions and then they've built up a profile in a game, for example, and they've gotten to a point where you're really not going to progress much further unless you start paying. So there's a conversation there around, you know, by all means, play these games and understand that you're going to be exposed to gambling type things. But the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to ask you to start paying. And when that starts happening, then let's have another conversation. That's really great advice. Thank you. And Mandy, for any parents that are really struggling with, you know, their children and managing it, where can they go for support? When you're finding that they need that support and consistency isn't helping, the boundaries aren't helping and children aren't finding any other thing that they find more interesting other than gaming, then there are services out there. Headspace and Uniting also have an early intervention service and there's Reach Out. And I'm also working with schools as well to get the wellbeing teams to recognise these behaviours when they're sitting in the classroom and they're disengaging with school, just to start to think about those behaviours and then we can probably then go from there. We've also got a bit of information on our website, gambleaware.nsw.gov.au and some tips and tricks for parents on how to better manage screen time in particular. That's all for this episode of Let's Talk Gambling. I'd like to thank Alex and Mandy for helping us shed some light on kids gaming and gambling. If you need information or support about gambling, please go to our website, gambleaware.nsw.gov.au or call 1-800-858-858. If today's podcast has raised any issues for you, you can also contact Lifeline on 13 11 44. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Gambling, the podcast. Are you ready to talk gambling? Start the conversation today by reaching out to your loved ones or calling Gamble Aware on 1-800-858-858 for free confidential advice and support. Not quite sure? Tune in to the next episode. Visit gambleaware.nsw.gov.au for more information or call Gamble Aware on 1-800-858-858.